0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your 2023 NXT deadline instant analysis. That's right. Getting over is back once again, and we are here to break down WWE's final premium live event. Of 2023, NXT Deadline, live from Connecticut, with two Iron Survivor matches in the forefront of that show. We are going to talk about every single match on the card. We're going to give you the results. We're going to give you some grades. We're going to give you analysis and reaction. And we're going to wrap all of it up with a final grade for NXT Deadline. You are not going to want to miss a minute of tonight's show. Before we get into it all, Allow the Silver King to remind you off the top that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about defiance. So please remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Another great reason to follow us there is you can tweet and DM us questions and comments that we will read on the show. And of course, you get to vote in pre- and post-show polls for premium live events and pay-per-views, just like the ones we ran for NXT TakeOver tonight. And those, of course, factor in to our analysis at the end of the show. Please also remember... I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well because for five dollars a month or fifty for an entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit slash getting over, sign up, you get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. You also get exclusive news posts every single Friday. Again, slash getting over. Now, this is normally the part of the instant analysis episodes where I would crack open a cold one. Unfortunately, vintage Chris Vanini is not here to break the show down with me. He was unable to watch live and I'm not gonna open a cold craft beer and have it sit here and get warm while I speak extemporaneously for however long the show goes. Therefore, it's staying in the fridge and we will probably break it out at the end of the year for our final instant analysis of 2023, AEW World's End at the end of the month. But we have an absolute ton to discuss tonight. I'm extremely excited to bring it to you. And I also just want to provide a quick heads up off the top, what is still to come this week on Getting Over, I'll repeat it at the end of the show, but real quick. Obviously, Tuesday we'll be back with our next WWE episode, Thursday we'll talk NXT and AEW, but I need you guys to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast because nominations for the Getting Over Awards, aka the meaties, begin on Monday and later in the week or perhaps early next week, voting will commence. So you guys need to be following us. That way you can nominate for all the categories and, of course, vote in the final ballot. That way, by the time the year ends, we will have your Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the meaties, to present to you right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Okay, with all of that out of the way, let's get into your 2023 NXT deadline instant analysis. And like I said, there is a ton to discuss coming out of this show. Let's talk about the way it began. Shawn Michaels opened the main card cutting a promo in the ring with CM Punk making a not so surprise appearance interrupting him. Earlier in the day, Punk tweeted a picture of him in front of WWE headquarters, the big championship title that is now uh, right in front of there which on its own was interesting. He claimed he missed his flight and he wound up in Bridgeport, Connecticut and Obviously, Shawn Michaels tweeted and Triple H tweeted, and it was pretty obvious he was going to be on the show. So he interrupted the opening of the show, but it wasn't because he was going to leave after that. Punk actually stayed for the entire show. There's tons of pictures of him backstage with the young talent, with the older talent as well. And so he was there the entire time. But Punk comes out. He does HBK's pose on the stage while wearing a Bret Hart hoodie, which popped me. And I didn't think they would talk about it, but they actually mentioned it in the ring. Shawn joked that Punk was wearing it, he answered that, well, you and Brett made up, so what's the problem? And he also pointed out that he made up with Triple H, so it's all good, everyone's friends now. Punk then took a fan selfie with HBK and teased the fans into chanting NXT. Then his music hit, and they hugged each other for a good 30 seconds, and that was it. It just kind of cut away. This was another one of those like Saturday night live finishes where you have the whole segment, the whole skit. It's ready to go, you're getting laughs, everything's good, but you don't actually have an ending. Or the final punchline. It just kind of fades away. That said, what did we really need? It was Shawn Michaels and CM Punk in a ring together for, I think, the second time ever, maybe. And it was awesome to see them joking back and forth. Actually, you know what they could have done? Punk could have said, no matter where I sign on Monday, I promise at some point in the next year, I will appear in NXT. That would have gotten a major pop and it would have been a really cool moment. That's really the only thing they could have done to make it make a little bit more sense. Punk also did mention that Sean perhaps forgot his lines and forgot what he was supposed to do out there. So it's possible they did have something planned and they just didn't actually execute it. Normally, if that happens, you would think Punk would like have gotten him back on track. But again, we don't know what was supposed to be. Regardless, it was a pretty hot open to the show. Now, we're going to break down the entire card, everything that happened from the main event down to the kickoff show. We're not doing it in reverse order, but we are going to start with the main event, the NXT Championship, Ilya Dragunov defending against Baron Corbin. Corbin got a biker entrance and Ilya did the dragon smoke thing for his entrance. Corbin ate a German suplex outside only to drop Dragunov's stomach first onto the announce table. He focused on the midsection from there. He hugged Dragunov in a callback before hitting a uranagi and then a deadlift gutbuster. Ilya came back with a flying senton he sold the shit out of his ribs. He drilled Corbin with a running boot in the corner, but ate an avalanche choke slam into a dragon sleeper. Droganov did a Death Valley Driver into the corner, but Corbin countered Torpedo Moscow into deep six for a false finish. Corbin came back with his own Death Valley Driver and a brain buster. Ilya flipped out of end of days, but botched a counter from that into a powerbomb. So he put Corbin down and deadlifted him into a jackknife powerbomb, followed by coast to coast. He hit let's say 33% of that, uh, and he sold the ribs the entire time. He again flipped out of end of days, countering into a DDT. Dragunov followed with two regular H-bombs, plus a running H-bomb. He didn't cover him. He picked him up and hugged him again, whispered something in his ear that we couldn't hear, and then hit Torpedo Moscow to retain the NXT title in 21 minutes. Now, this was a completely different match than most of what Dragunov has given us during his NXT career. This was far heavier on storyline and injury cell in its execution than about moves, false finishes, and the brutality that we normally get. This was brutal, don't get me wrong, but just a different type. It wasn't brutality after brutality. It was actually a bit disappointing only because it was the main event. And given we know what Ilya can do when he goes balls to the wall, when you have him in a main event, that's what you expect. The hug callbacks and Dragunov selling, outstanding. It was just one-sided for a real long time, and Corbin being the dominant party in a one-sided match, I think he's better, I think he's underrated, people give him way too much crap, but it's still not that exciting, him dominating a match. And then you have the powerbomb botch, the finishing sequence had some steam taken out of it because that botch was really the start of the sequence. It was maybe Corbin's best match, it was not Dragunov's best match. I think it was his eighth best match. I mean, if, like I can't even tell you. It was nowhere close to his best match of the year. I'm at four stars, a minus. Nothing wrong with that. But for a main event of the show, I was expecting a little bit more. Earlier in the night, Carmelo Hayes tried to pump up Trick Williams in the locker room. Trick was real serious. He's like, "I'm locked in. Go take care of your deal. Take care of Alexis King." I'll be here when you're done. So then we got Carmelo Hayes against Lexus King. This was somewhat in the middle of the show. Some stylist finally softened the beard lines for King, either that or they grew out and he looked much better. Late in the match, Lexus made Mello shake his hand to prove he's a snake. So Hayes did it only to give him the middle finger, which might be the first time that's happened in NXT. They did a tumble over the ropes before Mello went on a run of offense. King hit a jackhammer, but botched a backbreaker, then he ate a code breaker with Melo adding nothing but net for the win in like eleven minutes. As Hayes walked off, King grabbed the mic, saying he did not attack Williams, but he said he did because he wanted a match with Mello on a PLE. Mello looked angry at that, but it actually made Lexus look pretty damn smart in kayfabe. So King wasn't so much poor here as he was unspectacular. He didn't help Mello accomplish anything, and Hayes carried him throughout this entire match storyline-wise. It felt rushed to put it on deadline. And match-wise, it wasn't even good enough to main event a weekly NXT TV show. It was just non-additive as far as I was concerned. And I'd much rather the 11 minutes that was spent in this match get divided up over three other matches that I think also were 11 minutes on the show. You give each of those three or four more minutes and all of those would have been better. I'm at three stars B minus here I'm gonna rewatch probably Deadline in its totality. I wouldn't be surprised if I come back and downgraded a quarter star. It just didn't need to be on the show. The moment with Lexus King at the end in the post-match was great from a storytelling perspective. But again, you could have done that on the TV go-home potentially, right? Now that said, that moment in the post-match, it was the perfect asshole move for his character. It was a really smart twist to the story, a great way to establish who Lexus King is and what that character's personality is. Whatever it takes to get ahead, that's what he's going to do. And even in defeat, the loss doesn't bother him because he got a big spotlight. That's really smart stuff. So after this match, Trick apologized to Mello backstage for letting Lexus get in his head with his attitude completely turning around as he got really excited for his match with Mello supporting him. So let's go to that match, the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge. Breaker. Trick Williams, Dijak, Josh Briggs, and Tyler Bate. Now the penalty box this year was next to the commentary table. So Vic Joseph pointed out actually during the women's match, which happened before, that it's basically the coal mine. And I remember last year, it was like up the ramp a ways, and the distance that it was from the ring, that was a timing problem the entire show. It took longer for them to get to certain spots and they couldn't really do anything with the penalty box. So Even though I hated it next to commentary for the way it looked, it was very distracting. I know there are people, including one of our listeners, who had tickets. They're like, I mean, I don't know exactly how many rows he was, but he was probably 10 rows, maybe five rows behind the penalty box. And you're buying those seats. You're thinking those are great seats. Not when that penalty box is right in front of you. So I'm sure there were some fans that necessarily didn't like it that much. Um, It didn't look great next to commentary. But... They used the location of it and made it valuable later in the show. And we'll talk about that more so when we get to the women's match. So back to the men. DiJack took Briggs off the top rope with Feast Your Eyes for the first point as Bate entered third. That was five minutes into the match. Briggs re-entered with a lariat on DiJack to get a point. That was a really odd one. Probably the worst fall of the entire match. DiJack broke a Tyler Driver 97 potential fall with Bate countering Feast Your Eyes into a roll-up for his first point. Williams was out fourth wearing camo and eye black, got a huge pop. He jumped off Briggs' back while taking out a flying diejack with a lariat. Bate did a really sick no-arm helicopter of trick into a slam. He caught him with a rebound lariat and Tyler Driver 97 to lead with two points. And once uh, Williams got into the penalty box, fans started chanting free that trick, which was very funny. Breaker absolutely wrecked shit with three straight spears coming in last He countered a rebound lariat and a flying Dijak to immediately lead with three points, like in a Goldberg-esque sequence seconds into his appearance. Trick countered Braun with a Yoranagi and splashed the four guys outside, but Dijak caught him with a boot for his second fall, and fans went silent because now Trick has been beaten twice. Breaker took Dijak off the ropes with a Frankensteiner, but Bait caught him mid-air, for a Tyler Driver 97 to tiebreaker 3-3 with Dijak at two and Briggs at one. Trick was back out with zero points and five minutes and 30 seconds left in the match. Braun hit a moonsault slam. Dijak and Briggs double choke slammed Bait, and then they agreed to team up, hitting double moonsaults for points with Briggs trailing the rest of the people in the match, except for Trick, by one. Bait hit a springboard tornado DDT. Braun and Trick escaped the penalty box with Breaker immediately throwing him into the post and then spearing him through the barricade. DiJack then chokeslam Braun through the announce table. I thought that was going to eliminate Trick, but he comes back and he rolls up Briggs for his first point. Dijak then hit him with Feast Your Eyes, but Eddie Thorpe pulled the referee out of the ring to prevent the fall, obviously continuing their feud. Trick then rolled up Dijak from the interference, got his second fall. Bait hit him with a corkscrew, but Trick countered Tyler Driver 97 into a jackknife cover for his third fall. And with 10 seconds left, Trick turns around, counters Braun Breaker's blindside spear with his pump knee finisher, gets a fourth point, three, two, one. Iron Survivor Challenge ends in a massive come from behind shocker, at least in Kfabe, with Williams winning the entire match, four points, a couple others had three, one had two, and that was it. So this was all about making Trick. Both this and the Mellow match earlier because now Hayes is going to be straight up jealous that Williams got another match with Dragunov this time for the NXT title. Let me start with my issues, but there's a lot to talk about here. Neither Trick nor Braun sold the ringside punishment enough. That stuff should have happened earlier in the match. So Trick respawning... And going on his run to get four falls was more impactful. Instead, it felt like he took the biggest, one of the biggest moves you can take outside a spear through the barricade. And it felt like he was down for 30 seconds. You should be knocked out for like two minutes, three minutes. They 100%, now, you know, that said, they 100% made me think he would finish the match with zero falls by doing that. So the swerve did work. I'm just saying a delay would have been better and it would have made more sense. I also wish that Williams got an extra 30 to 45 seconds for that winning run because it was tough to kind of suspend disbelief for him to win that many falls in such a short period of time. The other problem was the number of falls in the match. I think it was 15 in 25 minutes. That's insane and not reality based on how normal wrestling matches work. I know we're talking about reality and kayfabe but mixing it together, but for a match like this, there should probably be like a maximum of 12 falls, but really more like eight to 10. And I believe in the three Iron Survivor challengers that preceded this one, all of them had like nine or fewer falls. So for this one to be 15, it just felt like way too much. I don't know that they needed to go that far, It feels like they could have taken one fall off every single person and had Trick win with three instead of four, but I guess the goal was they wanted him to pin every other person in the match, even though he took multiple falls earlier in the match. But let me be clear, just because I'm pointing out how I would have booked it differently does not mean there was anything wrong with this match. It was an absolute, complete, and total banger. And everyone involved came out looking outstanding. Briggs seemed like he could be a mid-card single star. DiJack was my pick going in, and we came real close to being right on that. He definitely flashed. Breaker was the difference maker in terms of energy and excitement, easily the most main roster ready as we already knew, and his rope running is just spectacular. Bate maybe had his best showing since moving to the United States. You could make an argument he was the MVP of the match, and this might've been his last match as an NXT full-timer, very possible. And then you have Trick, who was immensely over from the jump all the way through the finish. Like I said, I just wish his falls got spaced out a little bit more. I figured the booking was that he was going to fail in his big chance. Melo would pick him up and then boast about being the guy in their team. Instead, when it came to the match finish, they just reversed course in a completely exciting way. Would I have booked Trick to win if I had the pencil? Tough to say you know, from afar, it feels forced a little bit, but they're going with the hot hand and you really cannot fault that. Plus, I'm sure there's going to be storyline implications that play into the finish of his match at New Year's Evil. This was an excellent match. And when it ended, it was easily the best match of the night to that point. I'm at 4.25 stars A, and it's a definite rewatch candidate. I would not be surprised if I'm much higher than this, By our next NXT show. You guys know I'll do a second look for NXT deadline. I might regrade a couple matches on second watch. But initial impression, watching on TV while doing all the notes, 4.25 stars. A, if you did not see this yet and you're listening to this instant analysis to determine should I watch the show, should I watch individual matches, well, first of all, yes, you should watch the show. You should also watch this match. Skip the first four minutes and 30 seconds. You can actually do that for both Iron Survivor matches, but then watch the rest because this was spectacular. Now, this should have been the main event of the show. It was easily the best match with the most exciting finish. The problem is the NXT title had to go on last because the final moment of deadline had Trick come out to stare down Ilya, only for Melo to walk out of the curtain behind him as the show faded to black. I get what they did with the tease, but since there was no actual attack, I would have preferred the show to end with this. You have Trick win the match. You have Ilya come out to the ring to confront him. Trick stares him down. He starts walking off, celebrating. Mello walks out on stage. We think he's going to attack Trick, but Williams sees him. Hayes daps him up. And then the show ends. Same effect, but the better match goes on last. That's the way I would have done it differently. Doesn't mean my way is right. Doesn't mean that what Shawn Michaels and NXT did was wrong. Just my take on the entire thing. Let's move to the women's Iron Survivor Challenge. Tiffany Stratton, Kalani Jordan, Lash Legend, Blair Davenport, and Fallon Henley. This was second on the main card. Henley and Davenport started with Stratton third, hitting her handspring back elbow on both women. Tiffany caught Fallon with a really sick cartwheel Alabama slam, but Blair tossed her off the cover to get her first point. Jordan was next hitting a cartwheel double back elbow and a split leg moonsault. Henley then caught Stratton with a Shining Wizard to get her first point with Legend Outlast. Lash immediately based two single arm power bombs off the ropes. Then she climbed up for a double superplex to follow, plus a choke slam of Stratton and a choke bomb of Henley for a double cover. And she quickly led 2-1-1. Kalani then did a springboard moonsault outside. She took the nastiest bounce, her shoulders, her upper back, her neck drilled the announce table when she landed. I hope she's okay, you know, long term. She continued the match and was fine, but it was scary. Metaphor then blocked the penalty box door with Stratton and Henley brawling inside, only for Stratton to push Henley off the top through the announce table before jumping off the roof herself with a standing Swanton bomb onto the other four women. Holy shit, chant! Holy shit, indeed. Lash caught a Kalani top rope moonsault attempt swinging her into two other women with Stratton blocking a sunset flip with a double stomp, then double stomping back the other way for a false finish. I don't even think I explained that well. You got to see the clip. One of the best moments of the match. Blair then hit a double stomp into Kalani's back while standing to tie Lash at two points. Stratton hit prettiest moonsault ever on Lash to get her first point, ensuring Legend could not get another fall due to the time limit. Kalani then hit a double 450 for a broken fall. Blair stopped a split leg moonsault and hit an avalanche belly to back suplex before nailing Henley with a knee to take a 3-2-1-1-0 lead. She avoided legend, the clock ticked down and Blair Davenport came away as the winner of the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge. This was a legitimately crazy match and it suffered, as I expected, I mentioned this on the Ultimate Preview, from some of the inexperienced competitors they needed more veterans in this match. There were a lot of imperfect moves and a couple near botches, but that was counteracted by the excitement factor, which was extremely high. Also praiseworthy was the strategic booking, which was expertly done from like a match formula standpoint. I loved the trajectory of the falls, the fact that Tiffany came nowhere close to winning. Fallon prevented her from getting falls on multiple occasions. You had Kalani not getting any falls that can easily play into a bullying storyline where she's new and she's young and she, you know, did the worst in the match. She gets into a feud with someone over that and then ultimately beats them and gets some momentum. Lash may have been the MVP in terms of raising the rent and upping her game. She came out of this looking like she might be the next Hoss woman, following in the footsteps of like Raquel Rodriguez. Blair was perhaps the least exciting winner for like the audience but also the one who made the most sense. We broke that down on the Ultimate Preview, but she made the most sense both in kayfabe and reality, given her experience. Blair and Lola vice they're clearly short-term challengers until someone else wins the title. More on that in a second. This was one of the toughest matches I've ever graded because again, the excitement and the booking and the strategy, all of that was A-level, but the wrestling, the actual work, was not so. I'm gonna start out at 3.75 stars B plus, but as I said, this will get a rewatch, and I may have an updated grade on our Thursday NXT and AEW show. We'll do a second look at NXT Deadline now. Davenport after the bell started cutting a promo at Lyra Valkyria, so Lyra came out only to get immediately attacked from behind by Cora Jade, who raised the title over her and shit talked both of them. This was. The first time she's shown up in a long time. Later backstage, Cora said she gave the rest of the women four months off, and now she's back to take the entire division to a whole new level. She promised to reveal her next step on Tuesday. So, other than being more enhanced, they look good, but she's got me saying, "Hey now." Cora also just looked more polished from like a presentation standpoint. Her gear, the way she spoke. Her hair, just like she had, you know, I don't know the fashion stuff, but like these silver like extensions or whatever you want to call them in her hair, she just looked like a million bucks. And, you know, you have to remember what she debuted as. She's come a long way from like the fake skater girl that didn't actually skate and Darby Allen criticized because she took a skateboard to the ring. How dare she be a poser, you know, on NXT 2.0 like it was some offense. But look at what she is now. I mean, she's... I hate to put it in these terms, but she went from being a girl to being a woman, right? And she's now someone who you believe as a potential main eventer in this division. Now, the wrestling needs to be up there. Her wrestling's always been a little bit iffy. And obviously, she was in a developmental you know, product. So she's been away for four months. Hopefully, that's improved. But I truly do believe that if she has that wrestling element, then we're talking about a Tiffany Stratton level main eventer in NXT coming up in 2024, and that would be a huge positive. Now, Cora's return was teased with the Easter egg QR code on TV that I referenced during the Ultimate Preview. Hopefully some of you got to hear that, but even if you didn't, it was cool that she was here. Another cool moment is she is like the biggest CM Punk mark, and I say that with affection, and so she got to hang out with CM Punk backstage, which I'm sure was an incredible moment for her, just personally as a wrestler, as a fan, as a person. Before we move on, we do need to quickly talk about the Iron Survivor Challenge as a match concept because it might be the best original creation in wrestling since Money in the Bank. And we're talking about like a 17-year gap between those two. Now, granted, I might be forgetting something noteworthy. Maybe TNA and Impact did something I don't know about and people loved it and they haven't brought it back or whatever the case. And I know that like there's King of the Mountain and Championship Scramble, which in some ways play into the concept that is Iron Survivor Challenge. But when they first announced this last year (laughs) and they read like the rules, I remember sitting back thinking like, this is way too freaking complicated. This is gonna be an absolute mess. But huge credit to the NXT folks for this match concept and the unique execution that they've pulled out now four times over two years, all four of these matches have delivered. Some have been better than others. There's no doubt about it. But if you go back and watch 2022 deadline, let's say you've never seen it before. And then you watch 2023, you're getting four of you know the same match, obviously, but with completely different bookings, all uniquely exciting and entertaining. And they've just done a great job. Now, look, four is four, right? When you get to six and eight and 10 and 12 then it becomes more difficult to do some unique you know, bookings of these things. That has happened with the Royal Rumble. It's happened with Elimination Chamber. You know, we've seen it with Money in the Bank to a degree. But for now, you really have to give a lot of credit to the uniqueness of this match and just the conceptualization and the booking of it because they continue to knock it out of the park. I like it. I like it a lot. Now, after the men's challenge match, Briggs and Henley were pissed with Brooks Jensen trying to like calm them down. Metaphor came up talking shit. They all brawled, and that's gonna start a new storyline for NXT TV. Back to the card. North American Championship, Dominic Mysterio against Dragon Lee. This was the first match on the main show. Rey Mysterio came out on crutches and joined commentary. Dom entered without anyone from Judgment Day. We want mommy and Dom, you suck chance immediately. Dom dominated for a while until Dragon hit a draping double stomp to the apron outside. Great spot, followed by a nice handstand super kick. Dragon did the stomp again inside with Dom grabbing the bottom rope to break the fall. Dom countered a bull's horns attempt with a dropkick, turning Lee inside out. Dom pointed at Ray and then missed a 619 with Dragon quickly countering into a Liger bomb and Destino for the 1 2 3 to win the North American Championship in 11 minutes. And then he hugged Ray after the bell. This was somewhat of a surprise title change given that this was a last minute personnel switch. Though, as we discussed on the Ultimate Preview, it seemed like Wesley was going to win this title, and they needed to take it off Dom for one reason or another, so the booking decision makes sense. What does not make sense is why Dragon lost to Santos Escobar a second time on SmackDown. That should have been a different matchup with them not fighting each other again, especially once they made this change to put him in this match, and especially because those two, Santos and Dragon, already fought on Survivor Series. Now this match was far better than either of those. I'm downgrading a little bit because there were some slip ups in the finish and Destino has not truly been established as Dragon's finisher. So the crowd thought it was gonna be a near fall. And for anyone watching on TV, commentary failed to sell it as the finish. That limited the response to the title change, which was real unfortunate because the match was probably better than this but I'm at 3.5 stars and a B. That's still a really damn good match. I just felt it was downgraded a bit by the way the finish came off. But again, I will rewatch. Maybe I slightly change the grade. Now, Dragon probably makes the most sense as someone to now work double duty other than Dom now that he's champion. You gotta believe Dragon lives in Orlando. He moved to the United States. He started in NXT. So they can probably pare down his house show schedule and have him work mostly TV, going from SmackDown to NXT. There's also a good amount of days between those. Also don't forget, this was my original expectation for a title change, way back after Dom first won it. I said it makes all the sense. They're gonna bring in Rey Mysterio, they're gonna have them do a match on TV, Rey will cost Dom and Dragon will win the title. They didn't pull the trigger on that last time. So now they finally did, I feel almost justified that that booking made sense, even though it was never the plan. Now you have the title and the NXT brand getting promoted on SmackDown for a while, that's a positive. I would not be surprised though if this ends up being a short title run for Dragon. Everything is obviously up in the air given the creative adjustment. Maybe they don't even know. But I did wanna point this out. This is the second time that Dom has dropped North American title to a replacement opponent. Last time was Trick Williams in for Mustafa Ali and then Dom won it right back from him. That lends more credence to this possibly being a short title reign They could do this title change and then literally do the same booking a week, two weeks from now on NXT TV. They do a rematch, Judgment Day interferes, Dragon loses the title. Like, it's very possible that happens. Let's wait and see and find out. Uh, Roxanne Perez fought Kiana James inside a steel cage. Kiana got a special entrance video walking out of the new WWE headquarters. They were in a tough spot because they were the popcorn match And the crowd was absolutely exhausted because it got two Iron Survivors in like a three-match span. And then they did this before the main event of the show. James hit a perfect spine buster. Perez was exceptional, regaining the momentum before climbing to the top with James meeting her there. Roxy knocked Kiana down, only to eat a powerbomb out of the corner. Kiana then powerbombed her upright into both sides of the steel cage, only for Roxy to counter off her shoulders. With a ridiculous pop rocks for no cover, easily the moment of the entire match. James pulled the steel chair into the ring from out of the door, but as Roxy went to throw it back out, Izzy Dame slammed the door on her head. Perez then ate a chair shot and Deal Breaker with the chair, somewhat similar to like a rose plant, for the heel victory. Uh, Kiana uses the 401k that has been her finisher, so I didn't know Deal Breaker was even one of her moves, let alone finisher worthy, so it was just, again, kind of weird for them to do it this way. The Pop Rocks counter, like I said, easily the moment of the match. The booking and the finish made sense based on the go-home show. I forgot if we mentioned this as a possibility, but Izzy debuting as muscle for Kiana, it's totally sensible given James' gimmick, and you'll remember all those times the last two weeks where Izzy has stuck up for Kiana against Roxy. This felt like it could have been an NXT television main event. Perfect for that. As I said with the men's singles match earlier, the storyline was PLE worthy. The match was not. I mean, they went to the top of the cage and did nothing. Add a superplex spot or something really cool and this hits differently. I will say that Roxy continues to get better and better. She continues to impress more and more. She and Braun Breaker are both main roster ready. Roxy is only 22, 22. They might keep her down in NXT, but both could be called up for the Royal Rumble and you wouldn't think twice about it. That is how good both of them are. Anyway, I'm gonna give this three stars and a B minus. They barely utilize the cage. And like I said, it just should have been a TV main event and the finish wasn't clean anyway. So it was just disappointing more than anything else. Let's move to the kickoff show match. Nathan Frazier against Axiom. Frazier worked the heel side, showing a more aggressive attitude than usual in the ring. That included a flat liner into the middle turnbuckle. Frazier also hit a flip over inverted DDT, but Axiom came back with a half and half suplex and a really cool springboard moonsault outside. It kind of looked like he did a pump in the middle of the air, which is cool, uh, but he sold the knee and Frazier took advantage with a flash box jump superplex and a twisting neck breaker. Then he caught Axiom kipping up with a super kick only for Axiom to catch him with the super kick on a springboard moonsault. Very similar to the Adam Cole, uh, Johnny Gargano spot. Frazier countered Golden Ratio with another super kick, but Axiom hit a top rope Spanish fly, kind of, and then hit Golden Ratio for the one, two, three in 11 minutes. They dapped up after the bell, as they promised when they made their gentleman's agreement on TV last week. Man, this was a hell of a match. One of the best kickoff show matches in a long time. Any brand, any company. I was a bit surprised Axiom won, though, because this match seemed like it was a soft launch for a Frazier heel turn. So in that sense, Axiom winning was maybe the right move. But the way you pay that off is by Frazier going back on his word and not shaking his hand. Then he turns heel Tuesday and when he gets confronted about it. But they literally hugged after the bell. So in that case, I feel like Frazier should have probably gotten the win, with the newfound aggression that he displayed paying off for him. I'm not suggesting it took away from the match. I'm just surprised in the booking. Commentary was great on this match. I laughed out loud. Booker T used his Champagne Wishes Caviar Dreams line. Vic Joseph called him out for it. And Booker said, yo, man, I get to use that three times a show. Like, don't stun on me, right? Booker also, in the match prior that we just talked about, gave Rey Mysterio a ton of shit. Like about being a deadbeat dad and Dom doing better than him, you know, through the first couple of years of his career. They are a great duo. Commentary was on point the entire night. Anyway, this was one of those FTMF matches, if you know what that means. They went off four stars, A minus for a kickoff show match. And honestly, not that far away from being a flat A. You give this another five to seven minutes, a couple better false finishes that you can actually believe, and it gets there with ease. Four stars, A minus. So that wraps up all of our match breakdowns for NXT deadline. Let's go ahead and move to our grades. We'll start off with the pre-show expectation grades. On the ultimate preview, I came in expecting the show to be a B plus. In terms of the fan vote, we posted this one hour before NXT deadline began. 34% said A, 60%, B, 6%, C, 0%. D or F that averages out to an 88 out of 100, which is a B plus. So you guys basically agreed with me exactly. Now, in terms of the post show grades, let's go ahead and start with your fan vote and then I'll go ahead and give you my grade. 52% and there's still 40 minutes left in this poll. I ran it for two hours as I always do, but it's usually representative of what the final poll is going to be. 52% said this was an A show. 44%. B, 3%, C, 1% D to F, which, I mean, that's obviously bullshit. Even the C I kind of want to throw out, but I could understand some people not necessarily loving what they got on the show. Point being, the A and B almost completely flipped here. That averages out to a 90.7, rounding up to a 91 and an A minus. And I largely agree. This is a difficult show to grade, though, for a couple reasons. I thought, the storytelling and the booking and the creative of the show was definitely in that range. But when it comes to match quality, and our final post-show grades are not just the match grades averaged out, that's not the way this works. But when you look at the match quality, you know, I thought two matches were in the low three-star range. There were only three matches in the A range. Two of them were A-minuses, one was a flat A, no A-pluses, as of right now, no high A's. Again, I might change that. So my match average is lower than I would normally give for a show that I might put into the A range. However, the booking of those two Iron Survivor Challenge matches, the storytelling that they gave us in the Ilya Dragunov-Baron Corbin match, the Dragon Lee Championship victory, and you also had the Fraser axia match, which again, just blew me away on the kickoff show. It was fantastic. I'm really right on like the border of like an 89 or a 90 because it was a fantastic show. I think what's gonna put it over the top for me is just the opening segment with CM Punk and Shawn Michaels. Like again, we're grading the entire entertainment value of the premium live event. And that was something unexpected that was not really promoted for the card. You would never think that you'd get something like that on NXT, but that is how they kicked it off. So that's gonna take me from let's say maybe I was like an 89.4 and make it like 89.9 and and round up to 90, which is an A- minus for this show, I would say comparative to any other shows we've given A-minuses this year, it would be the lowest one. Out of all of those, it's certainly not an A. I do not think it was a B show, but it was right in that range. So whether you're with me, whether you're slightly lower, we're probably feeling pretty close to the same about NXT deadline. It was a great way for NXT to close the year, the arrow continues to point up for this brand. There's no question about it. It's going to be real curious to see what they do over those first 10 months of 2024 leading into the new TV deal with the CW. It's it's just going to be immensely interesting. How much more main roster talent do they bring down there? How much do they feature NXT superstars potentially on Raw and SmackDown? And can they continue this level of match quality, show quality, et cetera, when inevitably some more talent gets called up to the main roster. I could see Tyler Bate coming up real soon. Obviously, uh, Dragon Lee is already up. Braun Breaker seems like he almost has to be up in early 2024. You might possibly get Roxanne Perez up pretty soon. Tiffany Stratton could come up, Carmelo Hayes, Antrick Williams. There's just a lot of movement that very well could happen in the next couple of months. It's going to be immensely interesting to see. My guess, though, is Mellow and Trick are probably down there, at least through Stand and Deliver, if not longer. Now, with all that said, I want to kind of double back on something I mentioned earlier. We have our year-end awards coming up, the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Metis, And one of the categories for those awards is Booker of the Year. I've mentioned this offhandedly, I think, on prior podcasts. Shawn Michaels absolutely deserves Booker of the Year consideration. I believe it's going to be extremely hard for him to beat out Paul Levesque Triple H, especially because our listeners and our followers and most wrestling fans are not up on NXT like they are main roster WWE and sometimes, at least for periods of the year, AEW. But what Shawn has done over the last calendar year with NXT, it has been simply outstanding. Just the number of wrestlers who have improved, the character development, the unique storylines, the smart match finishes, the show bookings, it has been quite something that HBK has put together. He deserves his flowers, and if he does not get them when we announce the meaties, I at least wanted to say it here on the final NXT premium live event of 2023. I would be remiss if I ended the show, though, without mentioning One of our listeners, Sean M. Riley, who was there live in Bridgeport, Connecticut for NXT Deadline, he sent over about a half dozen notes from the show. Just want to read them quick, and if anyone else happened to be there and you want to send your own notes, again, we'll do an NXT Deadline second look Thursday on our next NXT show. We'll also talk about AEW on that episode. I'm happy to read any of your notes as well. Here's what Sean had to say. He said, Ilya didn't get much of a reaction. All the chants were Corbin. That is surprising. He said it was the first time seeing Dragunov in person, but he's really impressive. Uh, Dom's heat was unreal, even with only 5,000 people in the building. He said, trick is so over. Uh, There were more than a few CM Punk sucks chants mixed in, he said, both before the show and when he came out. That's interesting. Uh, Both Iron Survivor matches were awesome, he said. All 10 competitors were great. He wished the Mellow match was a little shorter and the Cage match was a little longer. I completely agree with that. And his overall grade was A minus, but he said he really wants to watch back from like the hard cam angle, like what we saw at home, because he did have those seats that I mentioned earlier that were behind the penalty box. And therefore, he missed some stuff from the show. I, again, would not be surprised if like everyone in his section mostly was kind of angry about that because you're paying this pretty decent money for tickets that you think are going to be incredible. And you have a structure blocking your view. It, it may be loose sight, you may be able to look through it, but it's still. Something in your line of vision, and that's obviously not ideal. But look, uh, NXT deadline, you got my take, you got the overall fan's take, you got Sean's take. I thank you all for listening to this instant analysis edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. On the way out, allow me to hit you with a few reminders and a couple schedule updates as well. First, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please remember to leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple, take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. You can also DM and tweet us questions and comments for the show. I promise you we have a bunch in the bank. We'll get to those on Tuesday and Thursday this week. If you have thoughts on NXT deadline that you want to share, send them in. We'll discuss it during the second look on Thursday's show. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up, You get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reaction to Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite every week. You also get exclusive news posts every single Friday. In terms of our schedule coming up, let me repeat that as well. On Tuesday, we'll be back with our next WWE episode. On Thursday, we'll have NXT and AEW, the NXT deadline second look. We'll discuss what happens on the Tuesday TV show. And of course, we'll talk about the entire week in AEW, and starting Monday on Twitter at Getting Overcast, nominations begin for the 2023 Getting Over Awards, aka The Media. So you want to follow us at Getting Overcast, and when we post each category, you have the opportunity to review which people are already nominated, and reply with additional nominees, and then later this month, before 2023 is out, you will have an entire ballot, and you will be able to vote, all of you, every single one of you Getting Overcasts can vote in the official 2023 getting over awards aka the memes thank you all for listening to this edition of the getting over wrestling podcast it is time for the silver king to sign off and leave you with just three final words bye for now